Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, all right, let's go back to the phones. And joining us, one of our favorite contributors, he's Mr. Knowledgeable on everything outdoors, Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. Did you get to hear a little bit of what I was talking about at the end of the hour there? I heard one that nobody catches fish every time they're out, and I was going to make a comment, then I decided I probably shouldn't. And then I had a great intro, so I uh, have a lot of things going through my head. <laughs> well, the one thing, though, and I know we're going to talk some hunting and, and some fishing, but people struggle fishing a lot of times because they try to force maybe what they were doing in early June and try to make that work in August. And it may not work because the fish and the bait and everything, or maybe just those fish aren't as active and you need to go chase another species or another lake. And I think too often they give in to just the fish not biting and not making the effort to improve their, their outcomes. I could not agree more, you know, and I hear that all the time that the fish, you know, have slowed down their eating or, or this or that, but let's face it, water's warm, metabolism screaming. Those fish are eating more now than they do probably at any other time of the year. So number one, they're eating. Let's just face it. They don't eat. They don't look like they do this time of year. And uh, if you're catching any fish, I think everybody can agree they're looking pretty dang good this time of year. So the fish are eating, you just have to adapt. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. And I, I think it's two parts. I think it's one, the confidence. You know, we've been doing one technique from, you know, May, June, July. And now all of a sudden we're, you're here in August approaching September and people don't want to change because that technique has been working. So they just keep having confidence that they will find some fish in that scenario that will take that technique. So that confidence in the, the previous technique, I think really kind of, kind of, you know, hurts the, the average angler when they're out there. And then number two, getting out of your comfort zone. I think we all do this, right? We all have that, that confidence bait and it's hard for us to get out of that and try something new. We, you know, we're, we're not a, a crankbait fisherman. So we finally do, we put one bait on, we pull it in one level at one speed. We don't have immediate results. So we fall back on what we have confidence in, but you have to, to adapt to these fish when, when they move that new patterns there and you have to get on it. It's one of those things I look at it as a learning curve, you know, spend a day or two, spend several hours working on it, just knowing that it's an investment. Cause once you figure it out, once you build the pattern, you're going to have more success every time you go out and then you'll have that kind of, you know, in your tool belt for the future. So I, I think it's a big thing for anglers to get out there, try new things uh, until they develop those patterns. Cause I, I keep hearing it right now, you know, especially on the walleye fishing on some of the pike fishing. Uh, but it's one of those things that once you build that pattern, you're going to have some great success out there. Now, I know we want to talk quite a bit of hunting today, but as long as we're on this, what are your tactics right now for the walleyes? You know, so right now, Terry, we, we have, you know, unbelievably high amounts of shad at all of our fisheries. So at your Pueblo, at your Chatfield, at your Cherry Creek, at Bar, at Boyd. So the whole front range has literally exploded with shad. That shad is in the top, call it top 10 feet of the water column. So 
when we have been fishing structure, you know, road beds, humps, points, that road or that structure was deep enough, the shad were deep enough to where the interaction between predator prey was a good resource. The, the, the wall I would sit on, on structure, the shad would bump up against that structure. It would funnel them to the walleye, the walleye would feed. You could pull your bait on that structure, catch fish. Now that the shad is up in the water column, so the shad are suspended, they're up high in the water column, all the walleyes have left that structure and are swimming around under those bait pods. So if you can find some really shallow structure, let's just say you have a, an underwater hump that's four or five feet deep, there's probably walleyes on that because it's shallow enough where the shatter over them and you have the opportunity to throw blade bait, throw jigging wraps, throw those type techniques. But in general, if you want to have success every time you go out, by far our best technique now is pulling small crankbaits high in the water column. So if I were going to Cherry Creek or Chatfield today, I would take like a small size five flicker shad. So I want a bait that's a little shorter in profile, a little thicker up and down, lots of tail wobble. Uh, the jointed shad wraps right now with extreme action are very good. So my go-to would be like a size five flicker shad jointed bait. I'm going to fish that on a monofilament line. I'm going to have it on my trolling rod with my line counter. I'm going to let that bait literally anywhere from 15, 20 feet out to about 60 feet out. Lately, 45 feet back has been my sweet spot. So putting that bait down, you know, four to six feet below the surface, uh, I am putting it on a planer board, but I'm not letting my planer boards out very far. I, I had this discussion with an angler this week, and he goes, come on, it's, it's summer out there. There's wakeboard boats and, you know, paddle boats. How you pull on planer boards? In spring, we put our planer boards way out. This time of year, I'm literally kicking my planer boards out 15, 20 feet to the side of my boat, just enough to get them away from my motor uh, to not spook as many fish. So small crankbait, high in the water column, just a little bit you know, out from the side of the boat, and that's how I'm catching by far a lot of fish, big fish, and most importantly, consistent fish every time we get out there. So that's my go-to, Chatfield Cherry Creek. It's working. It's going to work well into the fall. Uh, and it's a technique I would definitely encourage anglers to go out there and try. You know, it's also a technique that you don't need to buy lead core line. You don't need a lot of snap weights or anything like that because these baits, you're fishing them shallow enough where they'll dive to that. So if you have a good line counter reel or a good way to at least know how much line you've Better, got out, yep. mark the line, find a way to repeat once you start catching fish, um, you can do that as long as you can control your speed. That's 100%. And the nice thing, Carrie, is these two parts. Speed, we're on the upper end. So, you know, we're going anywhere from 1.9, call it, to like 2.2, 2.3. So certain times of the year, you have to be flawless to a tenth of a mile an hour. This time of year, as long as you're kind of hovering around that two miles an hour, you're going to catch fish. And honestly, Carrie, when we're on a roadbed, we're on a point, so much of my success is boat control. You know, that roadbed is 22 foot wide. You're both eight feet wide. You have seven foot rods out each side. There's not a lot of leeway for any sort of failure or bad driving. Um, so, so much of the year, we have to be so flawless with our boat control to get our technique where the fish are. It's hard. It's almost stressful. This time of year, those fish are randomly positioned everywhere. So, this is a fun technique because get your bait to the right depth, you know, put those planer boards out just a little side or have an extra long rod to get to the side of the boat. However you do it, 
get the bait a little ways away from the boat. But now, honestly, you can relax and then kind of enjoy the day because you're not as specific on your spot. You know, I'm definitely paying attention. I'm looking at the graph. As I catch fish, I definitely swing around and go back through there. But in general, uh, I would say it's a very fun, low-stress technique to catch some fish. Yeah, I like better when it's you have to be precise because then I like to keep your rod off the spot and my rod on the spot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Any other fishing before we move on to hunting? You, you know, the, the pike bite is going strong. The water temperatures are dropping in the mountain. The fish are very well fed. I would say that that is another very specific technique. So uh, now that water temperature is falling, we are seeing more increased activity on the topwater bite. Uh, so we're getting a lot of topwater fish, getting some good spinnerbait fish, and getting some jerkbait fish. The biggest thing, as these fish, as the water temperature falls and the fish have increased their feed, they are getting full. So even though they're feeding more regular, I would say that the fish are not moving as far to take a bait. So the biggest thing with pike, I think a lot of anglers will burn a bait above the weeds or they'll fish, you know, quite a ways away from a weed wall. If you are not right on the fish, they are not going to exert the energy to come chase your bait down. So when we're fishing and I cast out, let's just say I'm over a big weed mat at Spinney, 11 mile you know if my shadow zone where we can't see where kind of the darker water starts is six feet down your bait has to be there or lower um again we're just not seeing the fish exert a ton of energy to come to us so my big tip for pike cater to that go to the fish present your bait to the fish uh the odds of them taking it are through the roof but again if you make them work too far or expect them to swim too far it's just not going to happen this time of year all right, my friend, what's going on with hunting? I tell you, I tell you, we are excited. Uh, again, we're 100% hard horned on all of our bull elk. So, I mean, literally all the branch antler bulls, so every two-and-a-half-year-old and bigger, uh, they, you know, they are pretty much velvet off. Uh, we are starting to hear some bugling. We're starting to see the, the bulls get near the cows. Uh, again, by no means are we saying it's a full rut. Uh, or even signs of rub, but there's definitely the the signs that the season is approaching uh, on elk here in Colorado. So the biggest thing I would say is up until even last week, we were still scouting. We were still doing a lot of research, but we're at the point now to where if you're not finding elk, something is wrong. So you need to adapt. There are certain times a year and, you know, early mid-August where maybe your cows were in one place, maybe your bulls were in another, and you're kind of hoping that they're going to show up to each other or find the middle ground where the cows and bulls come together to kind of, you know, start the, the gathering of harems. By right now, you need to be seeing elk. So if you're not seeing elk, you are in a, a very fast grasp to change that. We are one week from the start of the season, uh, and our elk are in their developed pattern. So where they're at now, what their behavior is now, is how it is going to be on the start of that season. So the biggest thing is we are now in full you know, force uh, to find the animals, stay with the animals, build the patterns. We are now very much uh, locked into their patterns. Where the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of watching their patterns. Now we are glued to it. We're watching timing. What time do they go to bed? What time do they get out of bed? How much time are they spending on your feet? You're evaluating how much time you have to hunt. That's probably one of the biggest things. You know, so many hunters will scout and the animals will only be out feeding for the first hour of light. Then they retreat to their bedding ground. And hunters yet want to walk around and spend all day 
pushing the animals, spreading scent. Right now, we're watching these animals, building those patterns, and that's exactly how we're going to hunt them next weekend. We're going to hunt their pattern. We're going to hunt the timing that they're on their feet and active. Uh, we're going to be you know, super conservative on not blowing these animals out, and those are going to be the things that are going to lead us to a more successful hunt this coming fall. Do you think as we go, as we transition from archery and then start including muzzleloader, that we're going to see a really good early season for calling or semi-rut or in the rut for the muzzleloader hunters? You know, we're definitely seeing cooler temperatures up there, which I love to see. Uh, We do have a lot of green grass and, you know, generally speaking, when we look kind of at the overall environment up there, so many times that we have a lot of grass, a lot of greenery, that tends to lead to a later rut. The moon phases lead to an earlier rut this year. So we, we have a lot of different things going on. Um, you know, the health of the animals with the hydration is just incredible. Uh, but again, I, I think we're going to kind of see both. I can tell you that so far, um, I am definitely hearing more bugling and seeing more signs of rut um, than I did last year at this time. So if you just said this year to last year, I would say so far the activity is leading to an earlier rut. Uh, but really, I would say by next week's show, uh, I'll even have a better idea of that, Bill, to lend everybody a little more advice on uh, what we think those seasons are going to you know, unfold as as we approach a month later. Do you, when you're, do you try to determine what the animals are doing? Obviously you do, but do you, when it comes to calling, I think most people call more than they should, not less than they should. Do you let the animals tell you by how vocal they are? 100%. I think that literally if I would say in general, the state of Colorado, I would say we bugle 99 too much times. You know, we cow call 80% too much. Um, we definitely overcall and we tend to shut our animals down before the rut even starts. So my rule um, are two parts. Number one, just general rule to follow. If they're not talking, you shouldn't be talking. So if you don't naturally hear animals communicating, cow calling, bugling, more than likely you should not. Give it time. If you ruin it, educate them on your calls, you're not going to have that experience. If you take your time, play it cool, just try to spot and stalk, sit on water, wait until the rut activity starts for the individual animals, and then once it starts for them, they'll naturally start talking, and then you can start talking, and your success rate will go through the roof. So number one, if they're not talking, you shouldn't be talking. If you can't handle that, right, because I'm saying this, and I know nobody's going to listen to me, so if you are that person that has to call, right, you're, you're twitching, you're itching, you have to blow on your bugle tube, my general rule is don't do it when it's daylight. So if I want to start seeing if there's animals talking, if I want to call the animals to try to locate them, I will do it from 2, 3 a.m. until first light. Once it gets light, I will not call again. Whatever it is, when the animals, and it's pitch black, they're more likely to call back and or not feel the pressure from you as a hunter calling to them. So those are my two rules. Number one, if they're not talking, I'm not talking. If I can't handle it and I have to try to locate them, I always do so in the dark. Once it gets light, I am not lo- no longer calling if I'm not hearing them naturally calling uh, in, in just, again, their everyday pattern. So those are the two things that I follow, and I promise you that will change your style and drastically increase your success. You know, I, I my all my years involved in hunting – Call. I've never been a great caller, and I always felt that calling is an integral part of hunting and some types of hunting, and it's a great way to interact, and it makes you feel good. 
but it's not necessarily the best way to harvest animals most of the time. And I'm glad I definitely you think it, it ruins like more that. hunts than anything. <laughs> no, I can do I'm going to let you go here in a second, but you've got a lot to decide on coming up. You know, you've got incredible fishing. You're out there scouting, and archery season starts within days, then muzzleloader comes up, and you've got a couple of young ones that are going to go on their first hunt. How are you going to handle all this? I'll tell you what, Terry, I, I'm out all week scouting. I actually saw bears this morning. I have a bear tag starting next weekend. Um, I am, you know, out in the field watching the elk and deer. Uh, you know, pronghorn's currently going. Um, so it's got a lot going on. So I'm going to fish a couple days this week. I'm going to have my kids out for doves on Friday. Uh, I'll be out watching some bears and keeping up on the elk and deer on Saturday. Uh, so there is so much to go. And then I tell you, I'm down here at Bass Pro Shops at the Denver store today. I have a seminar on elk hunting with a rifle at 11 a.m. Uh, and then I have an archery seminar at 1 p.m. So if you're watching the show, you're getting excited talking about elk, come on down here to Bass Pro Denver. Uh, again, rifle hunting elk at 11, uh, archery hunting at 1 p.m. Uh, I'm here to hang out. I know I have a lot of people so far that have been asking me about muzzleloader equipment. What powder? What bullet? What should I do? How do I hone in my muzzleloading skills? Uh, we'll be down here. We can talk about that. So a lot of stuff happening. Uh, and you can always follow my Instagram page. That's more my personal page, Nate Z, or Nate Zelensky. I should say, and uh, we'll walk you through everything we're doing this week. And yeah, a lot of stuff happening. Yeah, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot of doves. You agree? I, there's a lot of doves so far. Uh, I'm definitely seeing a lot. Now it never seems to fail. My luck is uh, sometime this week they tend to fail. They get a cold front, kind of like we're having today. But uh, I'm crossing my fingers since my kids are going out uh, that the dove uh, season continues as is, and we have a lot of birds to, to play with. Uh, I think everybody that's knows we need a lot of birds with our odds. <laughs> <laughs> there there doesn't seem to be a cold front coming. So I will let you go, and you can go watch the weather. That'll work. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. Nate Zielinski, always a great resource. We're going to take a quick time out, and we come back. The folks from Jack's Outdoor Gear are going to join us, and we're going to talk about the availability of what you need for the start of these hunting seasons and maybe throw in a tip or two along the way. Ontario Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.